For the rest of us, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. would invite you to turn in your scriptures, whether it's smart or whether it's old-fashioned pages. Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to follow best and understand the most if you're looking at the text. And that's why we have Bibles uh, for you to pick up, and anybody could grab one. They're on the table. They're there every week, so scriptures are available for you. In 1988, Herman Ostry's barn was under 29 inches of water because of a flooding of a creek in, um, that was near Bruno, Nebraska. Now, to avoid this problem in the future, Herman and his son Mike came up with a plan to relocate the barn to a new foundation. Maybe some of you have seen this, because um, you can see the video online. It's, it goes back to 1988, and so it's not very good uh, quality, or not at least what you're used to. The barn itself weighed about 17,000 pounds. Herman's son devised uh, a structure, a lattice structure of tubular steel fastened inside and outside of the barn with handles. Herman invited his friends to come and help move the barn. 4,000 people came to watch, along with the local TV stations. 344 volunteers gathered around the barn, and there was one practice lifting the barn before they attempted to move it. Each volunteer would support about 50 pounds. The barn had to be moved up a little hill, 143 feet. In just over three minutes, 344 volunteers put that barn on a new foundation. That's a great picture of what people can do in a community when they come together to serve with church. One focus. And you know what? This is a picture to come of God's church. This can be a picture of how God designed the church to come together to accomplish things for Him. God has so designed the church. Many people with many different gifts and abilities and strengths and weaknesses and flaws. Some, people, some of them are pretty quirky and some of them not so much. Probably depends on who you ask. Some of us have rough edges, uh, but God has designed us to come together. He's empowered us with His Spirit, and great things can be accomplished by the body when God's people come together for one purpose. So far, we've seen in the book of Ephesians how God has designed the book uh, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and that, that's been our focus, our main focus so far, uh, focuses on our positioning, on our, and this, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 focuses on our doctrine, what we believe, what is true, and then Ephesians 4 through 6 focus on our duty, what we must do. Ephesians 1 through 3 focuses on our identity, our identity in Christ. And Ephesians 4 through 6 focuses on our experience, what we experience in Christ as we do these things. Uh, 1 through 3 is about structure. 4 through 6 is about the work. 
It was Jesus who promised that he would build his church. That's, that's a great encouragement to me. Jesus will build his church. I need to join him in what he's doing. Matthew chapter 16, remember? Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, Who do you say that I am? Who do other people say? What do you say? And we got guys, disciples. Here we go. Then he says, But what about Peter? Answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's one of the best things that Peter ever said. Sometimes called the foot and mouth disciple, Peter didn't always come up with the greatest lines when Jesus asked him questions, but he hit a home run right here. You are, Peter got it, the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, the son of the living God. You aren't just a man. You are God. You have equality with the Father, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Next slide. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, what rock? The words of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That confession of who Jesus is, that trust in Jesus. I will build my church. That's how Jesus is building his church, as people identify who Jesus is and what he's done. Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Jesus made that promise. It is his church. He said, I will build my church. It is his church. And then he would go on to purchase his church with his own blood. We call that redemption. And uh, so far, uh, last week in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, we saw the Apostle Paul focused on the unity of the body of Christ. God so designed the church. He designed it with unity. It already has unity. But now he comes to our responsibility as an individual. What is our responsibility? And he says, make every effort to preserve the unity in the body. You and I, that's to us, to every follower of Christ, to make every effort to preserve that unity. And uh, so we come today to verses 7 through 4, verse 7. But to each one. So we've gone to the big picture, to the, you know, the unity of the body, all about how the body of Christ is designed, the church, how is it designed. And now it's to you and me, to each one of us. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and it gets a little complicated here, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men, Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who de- descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We'll stop at that point. The first thing, his body. This... uh, This is bodybuilding 101. It's about building the body of Christ, okay? 
God's resource. What is God's resource? Well, he gives grace as a resource for growth and fitness, and that's verse 7. He gives grace as a resource. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He was the one who measured the amount of grace or the shape of it. Um, so we're, we're coming to the individual. The main focus has been the body. Now we're focusing in on the individual, each one of us. Uh, grace has been apportioned. This is not the grace of salvation. Everyone who comes to faith in Christ is saved by grace through faith. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about what God has given you and me to serve him. Every one of you who is a follower of Christ has been given grace, whether you know it, whether you believe it, or whether you feel it. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, you've been given grace for the purpose of serving Jesus. Um, it's about spiritual gifts, or another way to talk about it are grace gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts are a God-given ability that God gives to his people, and everyone has one, each one. And it, it, uh, it's very clear in 1 Corinthians 12. that If you want to look at the spiritual gifts passages, you have 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. This is one of them. This is going to focus on equipping gifts, spiritual gifts. But there are more than that. Each of us have a gift, a spiritual gift. Uh, some of those that are listed, encouragement and mercy 12 are and discernment. Uh, that's outside of Romans 12 as well. Those are just a few of the gifts. It just doesn't mean you're smart. Or it doesn't mean if you take strength finders, you're going to find one of these. These are things that God gave you when you trusted Christ. Some of you trusted Christ as kids. Some of you more recently. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were given a spiritual gift. You were given grace. You were given enablement. Uh, you were given the ability to serve in a special way. Why? To build up the body of Christ. It's not for you. It's not to make you feel good about yourself, although you may feel good about yourself when you're functioning your spiritual gift. I find great joy serving in an, an area of spiritual giftedness. I get uncomfortable when I get outside of those. Um, but it's a God-given... And, and one of the ways we, we learn about spiritual gifts is we look at... And I try to see what Scripture says. As we walk with Christ, we find areas that we serve in. So if you're not serving, it's hard to identify. We find areas to serve in that bring to surface our, our spiritual giftedness. I think most people have more than one spiritual gift, but you have at least one spiritual gift. And these are not natural gifts. You, you may be strong in areas. Uh, we call them natural. Maybe it's in your DNA. You have family members that are strong in certain areas. Or you learn something along the way that you're strong in. That's all great, and they can all be used to the glory of God and advance His kingdom, but they are not spiritual gifts. Um. Verses 8 through 10 tell us that he has given us these gifts from his position of victory. 8 through 10 is kind of a hard section. 
But just to summarize it, Jesus ascended into heaven and he's given these spiritual gifts from his position of victory. Psalm 68, 18, why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gift to his people. Well, what captives did he take? Well, Psalm 68 is an Old Testament reference to a king who, after battle, after he conquers his enemy, he has spoils of war, and then he, has, he can give the spoils to the people of his choice. In a sense, that's what Jesus has done. Now, is he giving spiritual gifts or is he giving people? And it, I think the answer is yes. And uh, he's giving people and he's giving them with spiritual gifts. For example, consider the Apostle Paul, an enemy of the gospel of Christ, an enemy of Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for the sins, and he encountered Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And God took him out of that world, his old world, and put him in a new world as a leader in the church. And everybody hated Paul, and of Jesus. And he united with the church, and he became a great leader in the church. That's an example of, and let's see how this develops. Because um, I, I got ahead of myself there just a little bit. Um, Paul here is, is uh, alluding to the ascension of Christ. It's already happened. You know, Jesus died. He was resurrected on Easter. By the way, next week is Easter. Right? Um, we're going to focus on 1 Peter 3.18. Simple passage. It's a great opportunity for you to invite your friends to hear about Jesus and what he did for them on Easter Sunday. So please invite someone to join us. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we're not going to look at that, but we've already, that's, we've had a sermon on that already, and Jesus was ascended on high, far above all rule, power, and he, he, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's his position. That's where he has um, Verse 9, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. Uh, some people have argued that Jesus ascended into hell. In fact, the Apostles' Creed states that. That's probably not what this passage is teaching at all. Um, I don't think necessarily Jesus descended into hell. He, uh, he descended to the lower earthly regions. I think this is a pulling back, big picture, looking at what we call, we've just looked at the ascension. This looks at the what we call the incarnation. Jesus existed as the Son of God in heaven before he came to earth, and he humbled himself. And he was born as a baby. He limited himself. And uh, he lived about 33 years on this, on this planet. And he showed us how God would live if he were human. And he did live that way as a human without sin. And he, he gave this model. But it was more than a model. He became obedient even to the point of great humiliation to come from heaven and be a servant and sacrifice everything and be uh, willing to be publicly embarrassed and nailed to the cross and be naked and made fun of. That's the incarnation. He became flesh, but became our sacrifice for us, and he paid the penalty for our sins. What does it mean he ascended? Except that he also descended. And to the lower parts, the grave is about as low as we can go. The grave. 
He died. He was placed in the grave to, to rot. He who descended is the very one um, who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Jesus' uh, death was a victory over sin. It was a victory over death. It was a victory that he descended as a reference that he came from heaven and that he humbled himself. Um, God in the flesh. We call this the incarnation. Here's the point. The ascension of Jesus Christ logically follows the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's all Paul is saying. And he uses some hard Old Testament concepts to uh, explain that. Um, One other comment is, he who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This picture of filling the whole universe, we want to think of that spatially as if somehow he's, what is he filling? You know, he's got all this, the universe. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a position of authority and sovereignty. He has authority and sovereignty over it all. And if he wants to give gifts to men, he can do it. Men and women. Oh, okay, that's, a verse, that's a God's resource. It's grace. He gave grace to each one of us. It comes from him. You have it. Okay? God's plan, secondly, for building his body. We've looked at his resource. Now we'll look at his plan. His plan includes giving, equipping leaders to his body. To give equipping leaders. He doesn't mention all the spiritual gifts in this passage, but he mentions a certain few. Verse 11. So Christ himself, who ascended on high, uh, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Uh, now, this, Paul is explaining the big picture, the history of the church. He doesn't mention all the spiritual gifts, just a few. It was Jesus who gave his church apostles. Jesus gave the church the Apostle Peter. Jesus gave the church the Apostle Paul. I just described Paul's story, how he met Jesus. And um, Paul, the ability to receive divine revelation, never written down before in Scripture. And he gave Paul the ability to write Scripture, the Word of God. He gave Paul the ability to perform miracles to raise someone from the dead, to heal people. He gave the Apostle Paul some amazing abilities that comes with this gift of apostleship. An apostle means one sent with delegated authority to represent someone. Now we all have some, uh, we all are sent by Jesus and we all have some delegated authority But in the case of the Apostle Paul and someone like Peter and the the other 12 disciples, uh, their delegated authority came from seeing Jesus face to face and from uh, seeing Jesus as the risen Christ, one of the qualifications for apostles. And uh, people that he's... Paul is one of those people that he's talking about here. So Christ himself gave the apostles. And then he gave 
the prophets. And the prophets are, were, were people in the early New Testament period who had the ability to speak the word of God before it was written. That's kind of unique. We forget that the church had to survive for years and years without the New Testament scriptures. But they were given men who were gifted to lead and teach with authority from heaven. My authority comes from this book. I don't have authority without this book. But the Apostle Paul had a direct line on authority about speaking God's will, about speaking sound doctrine before it was written. Sometimes they had the ability to speak and proclaim God's word in the early church, and sometimes they foretold the future. These are not the Old Testament prophets. These are New Testament prophets. I understand the apostles and prophets to be foundational leaders. They were given, and we read this in chapter 2, verse uh, if you read uh, the chapters uh, 19 through 21, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, uh, the apostles and prophets were, were a foundation, and G- Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, and the church is being built. First Jesus, then the apostles and prophets, and then the church, one life at a time, one living stone added to this what is called the temple of the living God, a metaphor for the church. And I see the apostle, that's how I understand the scriptures. Uh, I don't think we have anybody like Paul around today. Whatever you use as a definition for apostle, or whatever you use as a definition for prophet, I don't think we have people like that today who is referred to here. Foundational leaders. All of us are to proclaim the good news. All of us are to share the gospel. But evangelists were given to the church to proclaim and make clear the gospel. And... um, Usually when somebody is evangelistic or when they have an evangelistic heart, they're very passionate and um, they love to share the gospel and they have great results when they share the gospel. Results. Everybody can share the gospel. Everybody can lead someone to Christ, but some people do have the gift of evangelists. I think that's an ongoing gift for the church. An evangelist also has a role an equipping role. We're going to see that in just a minute. Other church leaders are pastors and teachers. Could be two groups. Could be a group of pastors. Could be a group of teachers. Probably, the way this is is explained with one definite article in the original language, it's probably one pastor slash teacher, pastor hyphen teacher, pastor teacher. Uh, A shepherding functioning, caring for the flock, as well as a teaching function to teach the word of God. And so they're not necessarily good teachers when it comes to the scriptures. And this is a reference to teaching the word of God, teaching scriptures. So you can have a natural ability of being a teacher, and that's great. This is a gift of teaching with um, a spiritual focus on God's word. So the point is, God himself appoints people with spiritual gifts. All have spiritual gifts. You and I have spiritual gifts. Some of the gifts are equipping gifts. Um, And by the way, gifts do not function without the power of the Holy Spirit. You must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit for your spiritual gifts to help you and to help the church, to help the body, okay? Verse 12, his plan includes membership of the body being trained for service. Look at verse 12. 
He, why did he give these gifts? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given to equip the church, to equip. That's one of those words that means to prepare. It means to outfit. Like if you're planning for a camping trip, what's all the gear you need? Somebody needs to, to plan it and make sure that you, you have it in place. It has the idea of to repair. It's used in, in, a, in the context of mending nets. You've got to fix the nets to use them in the future. Sometimes it's about mending broken lives, helping to mend broken lives. It's the idea of restoring, like a surgeon uh, restoring a bone that is broken so that it can heal, okay? That's, that's included in this concept of equipping. And uh, he says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Built up. The outcome is a improved, what I would call an unbiblical distinction between clergy and laity. Because some are pastors and teachers, or uh, some are apostles and prophets. Today, we, we, we have this, it started to creep in in the Middle Ages, this idea of clergy, that there was a professional group and they took care of the church. And they actually had to sweep the church. They were custodians of the building. God never had a design where there would be a distinction between clergy and laity. That there's a professional class of ministers and an unprofessional class. It's just we're all servants. We're all ministers. We all have different gifts. There's one body and we're all to serve and to function. Um, so there, there is no biblical distinction. There's no professional class in the Bible and a non-professional class in the Bible of the church. We call her. If, if it would help me to reach people for Christ, I would wear a backwards collar. It's not in the Bible. It's just clothing, okay? It's not, no separation here. All right. Um, when, it, when it comes to, think in terms of Ephesians, as a reminder, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ. We all are God's handiwork. We are all created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That encourages me because God has prepared things for me to do. God has prepared things for you to do. This is about his church first. Me second. It's not about, oh, I have this career coming. I'm going to do these. It's about his church. It's about us. It's about his body. And he's prepared things. And we just relationships, opportunities to serve our community, opportunities to serve each other when we're connected, when we're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has those for us to do. Verse 13, uh, his goal is to produce full maturity until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the, of the Son of God. God's goal is to get us on the same page about Christianity, the faith. God's goal includes growing us growing in the knowledge of Jesus. It includes growing in your knowledge of Jesus personally, in your personal relationship. It's about, it includes your intimacy with Christ 
It's about uh, becoming mature, uh, as the verse continues, verse 13, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God's goal is for us to grow into maturity as individuals, but also to, for us to grow into maturity as a church. Um, if we are, you know, sometimes uh, do a fully devoted follow, I wish I'd have thought of this earlier, but Remember when we do the scale, how we throw that up, just devoted follower of Christ, to rate yourself from zero to ten. Every once in a while we throw that up, just get you to think about your walk with Christ. Ten being fully mature. So like today, what would you say in your own mind? Where would you place yourself? Zero to ten. Ten being fully devoted to Christ, fully mature. Okay? Well, I just want to remind us that that's the goal. That's where Jesus wants to take his church so that we all get there, full maturity, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's not going to happen until we reach the full, until we're like Jesus, the full measure of Christ. His goal includes specific outcomes, verses 14 and 15. Um, Then we will no longer be infants, verse 14, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness. of God is looking for a time, and this is his goal, when there are no spiritual babies in the church. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a brand new Christian. God loves brand new Christians, babes in Christ who are growing and want to grow. But God gets really tired of Christians who are stuck and doing nothing for his kingdom. He wants us to grow. Um, He wants us to continue. uh, There are some Christians who kind of stay in a no-growth mode and... They don't grow in spiritual discernment and spiritual knowledge. And Paul describes them like they get tossed back and forth. Uh, they don't know what they really believe about the Bible. Because sometimes they hear a sermon like this or they hear something on the radio like this. And sometimes they, it's over here. Guys, they just can with the Holy Spirit understand truth. We can grow in our knowledge of God. I have a great confidence that if you read the Bible for yourself... You can correct me when I'm out of line. Something that just doesn't grab you quite right. I have confidence that God can work in your life. You don't need me to tell you everything the Bible says. Uh, Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become, in every respect, a mature body of him who is the head that that is Christ. Here are the outcomes Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual discernment, and spiritual knowledge. They're all in that passage, and I'm just going to rush through those for the sake of time. Um, His goal includes specific outcomes for us and for individually and for us as a church. Verse 16, his plan requires every person doing their part. This is the key. Verse 16, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, his church, the body of Christ, Join up in love. So Jesus unites all the body parts. He's the head. We're the body. We're the body parts individually. And Jesus gave every one of us grace, a measure from him, ability 
strength, empowerment to do what he wants us to do. We just have to step into it. And Jesus gives every one of us a role, a part to play. And the plan is, in Bodybuilding 101, that we're going to build up the body together. We're going to bring health to the body together as everybody participates, as everybody does their part. Each part must do its work. Each person has a role. Each person uh, needs to participate. All can pray. All can give. All can volunteer. Everybody has different seasons in their life. And yes, I understand sometimes you have to pull back because of a difficult season you're in. That's okay. Engage in the body. Engage in your relationship with God. All can live out their faith in the workplace. You can live out your faith. You're representing Christ and you're representing the church body when you're living out your faith in the workplace. Parents, you can live out your faith in the home. You're representing Jesus and you can impact generations to come by living out Jesus in your home. You're going to be, you're going to be in a, parents are equippers. That's our role with our kids. Uh, just as a reminder and encouragement, uh, as we close Philippians 1.6, Apostle Paul writes, being confident of this, that he who began a good, good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you place your faith in Christ, whether you were four or 40 or however old you were, God began a good work in you. Salvation. He's not giving up you no matter what. No matter how bad it gets in your life, he is not giving up. And he is there. Um, I'm going to jump to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I've used this a lot of times, but I think there's so much for us to learn here. Jumping down verse 12, continue right in the middle. Continue to work out your salvation. You have salvation. You were given salvation. It's a gift. It's in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Now, work it out. Not work for it. Work it out. As you walk with Christ, it will come on display that you are a follower of Christ. You're more like Christ than someone who is not a follower of Christ. And you know what? That's attractive to our world when they see Jesus in you. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be humble, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fill his good, fulfill his good purpose. God wants to work in you. And he's going to give you the energy. He's going to work. But he wants us to engage. He wants us to say, okay. But if you're just going to hang back, nothing's happening. And he's not. He's there. And he's, he, he, he's ready to work. But he's not going to work in you to accomplish great things unless you engage with him. Um, scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, wherever you are. Some of you m- may have become a little bit sloppy in your walk. Wherever you are, draw near to God. Come back. Is there anything that you need to be bring before God and made right with him? Come back to him. Confess your sins. We, we have a great promise, 1 John 1, 9. And uh, ask him to empower you and to control you so that you can be who God wants you to be. So the question is, why do we need understanding, uh, why do we need to understand bodybuilding 101? 
to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we exist. As we do this, we accomplish our mission as we love one another, as we serve one another. There's a lot of opportunities for that. As we pray for one another, whether it's in our growth groups or whether it's with our friends or we become aware of a need, when we counsel and teach one another over a cup of coffee, when we help each other, when we confess our sins to one another, God moves in his church on mission. Uh, people, this is the greatest thing. You've got to understand the big picture of the church. People are attracted to Jesus when we are engaged. He does it. We don't do it. We don't make the bride pretty. He attracts people to Jesus. And you know what we get? We experience a lot of love and community from the body of Christ. It doesn't make life easy, but we get love and we get community and help from each other. Let's thank you, Stander, for the church and thank you for your design. Help us to grow in our understanding and appreciation of your church. And Father, it's my prayer that we as your people will grow in full participation in belonging to your church. And I know there are many people here and some come from different churches and they're here today uh, as guests. And uh, it's my prayer that they will be connected to the church family that they come from. And for us who belong to the bridge, God, uh, may we just humbly uh, work together and serve you and say thank you, God, for the wonderful gift of our salvation and the forgiveness of sins. May we walk humbly with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us. Thank you that you've given us meaning and significance in the role that we play. May we honor you for Jesus' sake. Amen.